Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are watching Off the Track, and it is time to drop the hammer. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another week of Off the Track, episode number 34, and it seems like every single week that we shoot an episode, we are getting just that much closer to the heart of race season. Welcome back to the show. My name is Tanner Holmes, your host, and uh, with me today, my co-host, best buddy, Bennett Gooch. Bennett, how have you been? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, you know, I'm super excited for this episode today. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, about uh, Red Bluff last weekend and how you did there. And also our guest that's going to be coming on, four-time NHRA champion, uh, uh, Steve Torrance, who's also a big advocate to live the Western way of life. And uh, he, he likes to rope, and you don't see a lot of racers that kind of do the country stuff like that too much anymore. But I'm really excited for today's episode. Yeah, and I got to give you a lot of credit. I mean, you were pretty much the main reason that we uh, we were able to get Steve on. I'm not going to lie, no disrespect, but I didn't I'm I'm not really into the drag racing or even following that scene. You know, I, I know like very very little about it. And so Bennett had brought up who Steve was, kind of uh, you know, we started talking about it. I was like, "Oh, that would be, you know, that'd be really cool." And then we we're able to get him in today's show, like Bennett mentioned, learn about his lifestyle what it's like to literally be at the top form of drag racing and winning, you know, a four-time champion, you know, pretty much seems like done just about everything there was to do. So this ended up being a, a pretty exciting interview where I was able to learn a lot about just uh, another form of racing, uh, the sport, what it, how, how it's similar to kind of what we do, how it's different, but just, you know, what it is like to literally, you know, that is, that is their life. Yeah, last weekend at Pomona, sadly, I believe Steve, got taken out in the semi round so he did not uh beat who he's supposed to be i think he raced ashley and didn't didn't beat her so he didn't make it but um last weekend on your end not too bad you know you had two races back at red bluff and night number one kind of went pretty good you ended up winning that you want to go ahead and talk about that yeah it ended up being a pretty successful uh first night you know friday things went off to a very hot start we ended up uh qualifying like 22nd i, I don't know i just kind of dropped the ball in qualifying and you know the racetrack was really kind of rough to start really chunky and then it uh got better as the night went on but basically long story short you know we got through our heat race went fifth to second in our heat after having a stacked one we had all three orange carts in there i think you could throw tyler cv in the mix maybe angelo Cornette was in there as well so we had like five or six really fast cars was able to advance three spots and then in the a main event you know i don't know if it was just one of those nights for us but like we were we were lights out i felt like there was no one that could really touch us besides maybe once landon got into second you know he had a shot but uh, just the car was good. No matter if I ran the top, which was not the preferred lane, or if I ran the bottom, which was the preferred lane, didn't really matter. We were we were passing cars. And then uh, on Saturday, what a you know a pretty disappointing end to Saturday. But you know it was still a, a good points night. I mean, you guys will you know you saw in the video, Bennett, you were there. It just it was just a wild weekend, and you know it didn't help that the track conditions weren't the you know I mean they just weren't the greatest and. That combined with, you know, quite a few yellows and, and some incidents. And then, you know, it came down to pretty much the last the last restart where ultimately um, as frustrating as was I lost and, you know, I kind of got a bomb thrown on me. I, I think I, I really I could have played my cards better. And it just was one of those times where I, I kind of made one little mistake behind the wheel and, you know, left the door open. And, and, you know, when you leave the door open for guys that can be desperate, you know, things happen. And, and that's what happened. And we didn't end up winning the show. 
Yeah, I think uh, the key takeaway that I took away from the A-Main event on Saturday night was if you're going to restart fifth, don't do it four times in a row. And I think no I was watching and I was like, okay, well, he's going to start fifth. He'll be he'll be good here. Then another caution, fifth, another caution, fifth. And I think you were even like trading sliders with Colby Copeland for a bit to try to get up in fourth. And then I, I don't know if you just couldn't catch a break there. But, you know, like I said, it's just kind of a weekend of what could have been. Yeah, I mean, and it's just uh, there. Yeah, there was a lot of frustration there. Like, like Bennett said, I think literally four restarts in a row. You know, the whole top four didn't change, and a lot of it was just guys in the back. You know, I I don't know if they just couldn't get laps going, but also, like I said, you know, the track played a huge factor. Everyone's more fighting for one lane, which was the top where it really started to get like very heavy rubber, and then, you know, with that, and when there's rubber up top, it's obviously not as good to restart on the bottom. And and for some reason on Saturday, and this happens, you know, sometimes it's hit or miss, but when it rubbers up, our stuff's really good, and our stuff was, but I definitely wasn't a dominant car, but I also never got, like, a great, great shot till, you know, maybe over halfway into the race to really show if my car was any good because, uh, you know, there's just so many yellows. So by the time, you know, guys started building laps at all, we were always in traffic or stuck behind other cars, which when you're when you're not able to run your line properly because of other people in front of you or you're racing, it it's really hard, especially if your, your car isn't absolutely perfect because, um, it's, you get really tight. It's easy to bike. It's easy to, you know, just to, to get out of that one lane, which is very, very, I mean, it's not hard to hit, but it, it was just a disaster. And like I said, a lot of yellows played a factor into me, you know, restarting in one of the worst spots, which was, you know, the third row inside. Cause at least if you restart in third, you know, if the leader or the guy, the second place car on the inside, cause the leader usually chooses the top gets a good start. You can make something happen. But for me, like I was already in sixth by the flag stand. And then I was just trying to just to fight to keep my nose in the fight for if something happened. And then sure enough, you know, we saw the the chaos into one once I got into the third or fourth there. And then all of a sudden, you know, and then all of a sudden everything was sitting in my lap and I just didn't execute. So, you know. I've been thinking about it a lot. I'm not going to lie. It, it's been like, it's one of those things you don't forget. You know, you can win. I think you can, you could probably be Kyle Larson and win 45, 50 races a year. And you have one race like that. That's a little bit of a premier event and, and let it slip away. And it doesn't matter how many races you win. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's tough. You know, you just try to put your best foot forward every single week and we'll put that behind us. And, you know, I, I always like to say, and I'm sure Bennett, you can agree. You, you learn your most from your losses. Sometimes it, you know, you learn from your wins obviously, but the losses that sting are really what teach you. Right. I would have to agree. I, I think that's what you said there. I, at least I would, I would say every loss I've had, I took away the key parts that would help me learn. But with that said, you know, you got points race number 10 coming up another huge 2,100 to win open race, which is the Vern Wheeler Memorial. So keep your head up and look forward to that race next weekend. Yeah, we are uh, super excited to get back. That's one of the premier or one of the more premier events at Red Bull. If we have not got the chance to win, so there's no better way we could possibly bounce back than chase that. And uh, three races left. I, I'll say we're definitely now officially in the fourth quarter of the Red Bluff Outlaw season, and we're nine points back from uh, the lead in the open points standing. So a championship is in sight. We're going to have to have uh, three perfect weekends, but we are absolutely looking forward to it. With that little recap on our weekend, it is now time to talk to Steve Torrance. Just uh, an absolute badass in drag racing so if you don't know much about him this will be a great opportunity to hear about what steve torrance does all right so today we are joined by the four-time nhra top fuel champion steve torrance steve thanks for joining us today on the show thank you guys for very much for having me i appreciate it 
So I actually got the opportunity to meet and talk to Billy back in July of 2019 in Sonoma. And uh, Billy ended up actually winning that weekend. And I think a huge thing in motorsports is we always talk about the initial time you meet a driver for the first amount of time that they give you is what makes a fan for life. And uh, that's kind of when I, you know, noticed the Torrance racing team and became a fan of you and your dad when you guys go and race. You know, you, you only get one opportunity to make a first impression. Um, a lot of people base that off of what you, what they see on television or what they see on you in the, in the heat of a moment and then, uh, never leave, uh, never leave an opportunity to actually speak to people and, and talk to them at the ropes or, you know, in the winter circle or wherever it's at. And so, uh, I'm glad that you guys got the opportunity and, and it's, it's, uh, it's basically like talking to me if you're talking to my dad. I mean, I, I, I have so many people that come up and say, man, I just talked to your brother. And instead of saying, no, that's my dad. I just go along with it and say, yes, sir. How, how was he? So <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty unique opportunity. I'd have to agree with that. Uh, you guys are definitely class acts. And to get really started in this interview, uh, for the fans listening at home, because we are mainly dirt racers. Tanner races a 410 sprint car. I race a dwarf car. And our fans are dirt racers. But for all the fans that might not know too much about Top Fuel, do you want to go ahead and explain a little bit about what you do and how you got started? Yeah, so, man, uh been around drag racing my whole life my dad raced sports and stuff when i was a kid and i mean even going all the way back to street cars on the friday night bracket race weekend you know and um so just naturally as as most kids you kind of want to do what your dad's doing or what your parents are doing so i spent a lot of time and and growing up at the racetrack going to super comp super gas races and, and then um so that was the, that was the progression. And then I had an opportunity to, to race a car with my dad and race super comp with him and did so until 98, 99 would have been my first season when I was 15. Uh, and, and I raced all the way up until like Oh four. Uh, I had cancer in, in my senior year of high school. So I missed a, a little bit of racing there, but in Oh four, uh, I had a, a just, coincidental meeting in the staging lanes with Don Perdome and uh, he kind of set me on a path of if I wanted to be a professional race car driver to try to go race an alcohol car and see if I can drive one of those and so that set the wheels in motion and, and got the ball rolling and, and my parents sent me to Frank Holly's school and I got my top alcohol dragster license and had a chance to drive a car for for Tom Conway and 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 Dr. Howard from Oklahoma for the accident of his wife, and so that was 2005. And I went out and won the championship the first season, um, and then the following year had partnered up with with Evan Knoll from Torco Racing Fuels and had a chance to go drive a top fuel car and did that off and on up until. Uh, I think 2009, 2010 would have been my first full-time season driving for Dexter Tuttle. And then in 11, uh, we, we campaigned partial season and then decided to start our own race team. And so we started Torrance Racing, which is our family race team, uh, and, and campaigned full-time schedule from 2012 until now. And so what, what I do is a 300 
inch, 25 foot wheelbase car that weighs 2,330 or 2,340 pounds, has 11,000 horsepower, and goes zero to a hundred in less than a second. That's crazy. And we'll run. A, 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 we don't run a quarter of a mile. We run a thousand foot, which is 320 feet shorter, in 3.6 seconds at over 330 miles an hour. Wow. Yeah, that's absolutely insane. That that is nuts. Uh, like Bennett was saying, you know, we we do not come from really the drag racing background, so hearing all that is is absolutely incredible. The question I had was, you know, you talked about when you first started, uh, the first time you were in a car, you know, back right before two thousand ninety eight ninety nine. Did you just know the you know the first couple times getting in the race car and feeling the horsepower? Because I feel like as a driver, you kind of almost have that moment where it's just you're hooked. Was, was that how it was for you? Um, you know, your first time really getting to feel power in drag racing. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, you guys know it as well. When you get in something and it's just it, it, it blows your mind. It's it's something that you're so excited about, but it kind of exceeds your expectations and gives you that, that adrenaline rush that you can, you, you can't describe, you can only experience. It's that, that sense of, of out of your comfort zone makes you a little nervous, makes you a little apprehensive, but makes you want to do it again. And, and, uh, the first time I got in a, in a, in, any kind of race car, I had that feeling. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I competed competitively in martial arts all over the United States. Uh, I raced motocross growing up uh, and had a little bit of a su- success in that. And um, so you're a competitor uh, your whole life or by nature. I think that it's, it's, I don't know if it's something that you obtain or you learn or it's just in you to, to want to compete. But, uh, it, it was all of those, all of those feelings coming together and getting in a, in a drag racing car the first time ever. I mean, the first car I ever drove was a 170 mile an hour super comp car. I mean, so I'm driving faster than most people ever have by the time I'm 15. And so it, it really gave me a, a, a step up to, to, to get where I'm at now. And so I think that just like what you guys do and what I do, the the more you, you go, the faster you go, the the faster you want to go, the more you want to do. And so it just, it keeps building and compounding. So you mentioned that you had a brief career in dirt bike racing there. Uh, was there any other opportunity to drive another race car other than a dragster? Uh, no. And it's, it, you know, maybe something could have presented itself, but I never really pursued it and I never, never really have went outside of drag racing much uh a couple of years ago intron brown and myself went and raced the mint 400 okay and yeah, i know what you're talking about and had an absolute blast in that we were in um i don't remember the class but it was a it was a polaris side by side you know with when I say that, you know, you, you think of something you can go by, but these things were so tricked out. Oh, I know what you mean. Probably 20 inches of shock travel. I mean, it was like riding a dirt bike with four seats on it. So, um, well, to mention that, you mentioned the Met 400. Uh, you know, that's a big off-road race, and I am a huge fan of the Baja 1000, and that's definitely mm-hmm. a big step up from that. Would you ever consider yourself maybe going to race the Baja at least once in your life? 
Oh, I would love it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, th- that opened my eyes to, to something that really uh, I was pretty comfortable in. I mean, Antron and myself both were, were motocross guys uh, when we were younger. So you have the ability to read terrain, know, know what you have coming at you. And, and a dirt bike is way, way different than, than a four-wheeled vehicle or anything, but you definitely have to read the, read the ground, read the terrain in front of you as it's approaching and make decisions. And then having the, the, the sense and the, the ability to drive by the seat of your pants. I mean, that's, that's something that people don't think about when you're talking about a drag racing car. It's just going to drive down a straight track on a flat surface and, and have to read it, but it couldn't be further from the truth. When you have 11,000 horsepower trying to push you to the limits that what we do, you have to feel whether that car is, is tracking, whether it's pushing. When the car's 25 foot long, you're feeling inputs from the vehicle that that really you're not affecting it, but you're feeling it because the car will, will bow left to right uh, in, in the middle of the run. So you may be two inches to the left and the front wheels are two inches to the right. And you're still going straight. That's crazy. That's a, I mean, what what surprises me is when you launch that car at 11,000 horsepower and you say you're going zero to 100 in less than a second, can you describe that initial impact or how you your body feels and reacts to that? Because I know if I ever get the opportunity, I'd love to at least be in one. And I always think, you know, they make a two-seater sprint car. And I think for someone that's never raced one, that might be their best opportunity to ever feel one. Um, you know, I don't know if they have that for NHRA or whatnot, but I would love the opportunity just to get that feeling of launching one of those cars. Could you describe that initial impact on your body? Uh, they actually, uh, Larry Dixon uh, does have a two-seater dragster, uh, and, and I think he's given some people some rides in it. Initially, when we hit the gas, uh, we'll go zero to 60 feet in 0.8 seconds, and we'll be traveling over 100 miles an hour at that point. The only thing that I can then that I could equate it to is maybe sitting at a red light and getting rear-ended by an 18 wheeler that was running 70. That's crazy. Uh, it's, it's, as soon as I hit the gas, it's three, 3.3 G's. Two seconds into the run, about 300 feet into the run, it's almost six G's. So the thing is, is pulling harder two seconds into the run than it is as soon as we hit the throttle because you're able to apply the clutch and you have some momentum and you can, and, and, and put more horsepower to the ground. But it is it, it, it truly is the most violent, hardest hitting acceleration that, that I've ever experienced through anything. Um, we accelerate quicker than a fighter jet taking off of an aircraft carrier. Yeah, that so it, it, it's it, it's pushing you so hard. Uh, the thing that's most difficult to explain to anybody is just the sheer acceleration and how fast it's moving. I tell people all the time, you know, you, you get in your vehicle and you're going down the road and, and you say, okay, I'm going to say I'm going down the interstate and you, and you see something coming up and you're, you're used to traveling at 70 miles an hour. Well, you can, you can pick a point, you can let off the gas or you can do whatever you got to do within 10 feet either direction of, of the point you pick when you're in a, in a top fuel car and you're accelerating over 400 feet per second, 
and you pick that point and you drive to the finish line, you may at the finish line before you let off the gas simply because your mind and your foot is not uh, not in in conjunction with the speed that you're traveling. That's that's just absolutely insane. And I know you mentioned the feeling, you know, going 300 miles an hour with that speed and that initial impact on your body that you feel two seconds into the run always becomes, you know, what you dread the most, and that's wrecking. And I know I just want to ask you real quick about your Dallas wreck in 2017. You know, Tanner's wrecked big, pretty big in a sprint I, car. I have. And I've seen, you know, uh, I-70, right? Yes. I-70, you're easily going over 130. Yeah. And uh, that was a pretty hard hit. What Can you describe what it's like to fuel that impact in a top fuel car doing 300 into the wall? So I hit the wall that day going uh, 327 when I hit the wall. Um, and what happened was the tire blew out. The, the left rear tire uh, ruptured and, and disintegrated. I felt the car drop. And, and Tanner can tell you, and, and you know as well, when you have a wreck, everything is going so much slower. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and, you feel, and you feel every bit of it. And I felt the car drop. I felt the car start turning left, so I turned into the skid. And then the next thing I know, uh, I, I can tell you I didn't really feel the impact. I just knew it happened. And I'm pointing toward the opposite wall. And I'm thinking, I got to get this thing. I, I just hit the wall. I've got to get this thing off the other wall before I hit it. And so I'm trying to grab the steering wheel and I can't find it. And, and I'm watching in front of me and I'm grabbing for the wheel and I'm grabbing for the wheel. And I finally take my eye off the wall and look down and there's no wheel. It's gone. But the shaft is there. So I grab the shaft and I turn it as hard as I can. Well, nothing happens and it moves super free. And this is all probably happening within a second or two. Right. Um, then I, I, I look at in front of me again, and I realize the whole front of the car is gone. The car broke off right in front of my feet. And so I'm, I'm just basically sliding and grinding towards the wall with my feet sticking out in front and one rear tire and the engine behind me that is blown up. And I grab the brake and slide to a stop up against the right wall and, check on everything, make sure that everything that's supposed to be attached to me is attached to me and undo my seatbelt and get out. Uh, and, and at that point you're just running on sheer adrenaline, but it, it, it happened so quickly, but it took so long to happen. And, and it's not a matter. I mean, and I, people ask you that that's one of the first questions you get by asked by someone that may not be that much of a fan or, or just learns that you drive a race car is, well, have you had any bad wrecks? And so yeah. up until that point, it wasn't a matter of if, it was just when. And I said, I would always answer with no, not yet. Uh, and, and so I had a wreck that was completely out of my control. Nothing I could have done would have stopped that from happening. And so uh, it, it's, it was difficult to overcome because we were right in the middle of a championship chase. I mean, as as much as you want to say it doesn't mentally affect you, it does. Uh, it would be easier to to get into a sport that you didn't count on your reaction time uh, so much for winning and losing, and that the actual race lasted longer 
Uh, so, I mean, say if you were sprint car racing or off-road racing or whatever, if you can get back into a car or a truck or whatever and race, uh, it, it gives you a little bit more time to get comfortable in the car again and, and get acclimated with things. But um, our runs are hours of preparation for three and a half seconds and one and lost on reaction time. So I struggled uh, for the next couple of races that year, not really overcoming a fear, but just getting that back in the back of your mind. It's kind of like when you're a kid and you've never fallen and skate and, and scraped your knee or whatever on a bike, you are or, or never had a bad wreck. You know, you, you don't think about that. But once that happens, you're like, Oh damn, that kind of hurt a little bit. Maybe I want to be a little more, a little more apprehensive about it. And so, uh, it, it was something that was bound to happen and something that I'm glad did happen because it makes you a better driver. Yep. Absolutely. It may, you, you, you know what, what the risks are and you still deal with them and, and just move on. Absolutely. I, I really liked what you said there. I always tell people that, you know, we just literally, it's like when we, when we show up to the track, we know what we're signing up for, you know, when in situations like a wreck's going to happen, part failures are going to happen. We're going to make mistakes as drivers. It's just, it's just how the sport is set up. Um, and, and talking about that wreck, I would consider, you know, obviously a wreck, a, a setback or a moment that, you know, is obviously not a great thing throughout your career. You had a couple of those, you mentioned, um, you know, much earlier in your career, you had cancer at one point, heart attack, you have wrecks that happen. How do you overcome those and continue pushing forward? Cause you know, even these drivers at the highest levels of racing, um, it's still so difficult to continue moving forward. Uh, because just no, no matter what, just mentally the, the tolls that those can take on you and to continue pushing forward and then ultimately getting to where you want to be the success, the championships, uh, it can really be a, a much longer and tough road than anybody sees from just, you know, sitting in the grandstands and from far away. Yeah, completely. I mean, it, it's, um, at the end of the day, it's mental fortitude and, and as competitors and, and as racers yourself, you know, that that's that's an associated risk that's something you're going to deal with and take it just like you get in the just like you get in your vehicle and go up and down the road i mean there's there's more likelihood that you're going to get hurt doing that than you are in the race car um because any race car that any of us get in we've got our fireproof suit we got on a helmet we've got on five to seven point safety harnesses with arm restraints and everybody that we know that we're racing against is sober and driving the same direction for the most part and and qualified to do it you know they don't have a cell phone they're not texting and there's not there's so many other distractions that we're not dealing with but it is just part of it and when you look at it that way you're able to kind of compartmentalize it and say hey this is a risk i'm taking but this is what i love to do i mean it's like jumping out of an airplane I think that's the ter most terrible idea ever, <laughs> but somebody likes to do it. That's absolutely true. Uh, so Tanner actually has a sister who races competitively with him um, in the same division, and we always talk about a sibling rivalry, and I'm actually really pumped to ask you about this. This is your dad that you go up against in some elimination rounds. What are your, what's your thought processes when you're pulling up to the line and it's going against your dad? 
Oh man. I mean, it's no different than you pulling up and racing your sister, or whatever. It's, it's the ultimate pressure because, and you, and you know, it by being a family member, it's the, it's the situation where that, that person right there has the right and the ability and, and the, the bond to talk so much trash to you that no one else can. And, and so I work with my dad every day. We work together at Capco. And so if we go out there and race and I, and he beats me, he's going to talk a little bit of crap, but all the guys here at the office are going to, are going to do the rest of it for him. <laughs> How come you let the old man beat you? How come like, hell, you don't even race, but part time and he comes and kicks <laughs> your butt. And I mean, so, uh, it's fun. I enjoy it. I've, my dad's 25 years older than I am. So in some kind of ways, we grew up together. I raced motocross with my dad when I was a kid. Uh, we've, we've done everything together, whether it's fishing or racing or, or whatever it might be. That competitive nature and competition is there to for, for me to beat him and him to beat me. And, and it's just a, a, a fun, loving rivalry, but there's no amount of trash talk that that gets spared in those situations so uh, i would say that some of the best and closest races i've had are against my dad i think you absolutely hit the nail on the head there with that one and, and also another thing i always preach is you know when you're racing against family or even like really close friends um the person that should have the best shot at beating you is them as you should have the best shot at beating them as well because you know if you're around each other usually you're talking about racing you know what you're working on what you're trying to do better all these mm -hmm. things like they should in a way you kind of you know exactly um what their strengths their weaknesses are but that's a uh, very interesting to hear as someone who's not as familiar with you know nhra and drag racing what's like if someone is trying to get started or, or get involved um, you know, like where's maybe an entry point if someone is wanting to build a team or whatever and start and work their way towards the top ranks, what's the system kind of look like? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's very similar to, to all forms of motorsports. I mean, uh, you can start at the grassroots level. I mean, you can go to your local dirt track and race, you know, a four cylinder series. I, I don't know what they call it, but, um, Hornets. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so you can go and race that, and, and and just like you can take your your, I mean, they have high school divisions in drag racing where there'll be kids out there racing their mom's Ford Explorer. Gotcha. Um, you know, it, it's it's at, at the sportsman level, it's based on time. It's a bracket. You you put a time on your vehicle, and you try to run as close to that time as possible, and that and that's what keeps it a level playing field across the board for all of the classes and uh, except for the professional classes, as far as it's not just the guy that spends the most works, the hardest goes out there and, and beats you. I mean, when it's, when it's a bracket series class, I mean, you're racing, you, you may have a Ford Explorer racing a, a Corvette and, and they're going to get a head start and they're going to go down there and, and, and try to try to cut that time down as close as possible so they can. But, um, you know, it, it depends on what you want to do and how involved you want to get. But there's member there's there's member NHRA tracks all over the United States. 
in addition to the, the 24 different racetracks that we race at. And you can see all kinds of, of, of different cars, classes, teams out there. I have guys that come up to me all the time and want to know how, how can they work on a top fuel team. Uh, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a couple of my team members that have went to Wild Tech or UNOH and, and learned yeah. how to work on a top fuel car and, and came out there. Uh, and to be honest with you, that's probably the best way to, to get into the sport is really kind of start at the bottom. I grew up working on race cars and, and engines and, and everything with my dad. Uh, so that's where I got my, my, my ability to work on things and, and just, you know, mechanical nature. Uh, and, and so knowing the inner, inner workings of, of a top fuel car, how everything works and it, it's very complex, but very primitive in, in the way that we run things. I mean, it's, it's a 500 inch cube or 500 cubic inch maximum engine. Uh, we run a 491 where it's based on a Hemi. Uh, there's two spark plugs in every cylinder. There's two 44-amp magnetos that, that we we run to power that. I mean, it creates enough electricity to weld. Um, there's a six-disc clutch that has a reverser on it. There's no transmission. It's a direct drive uh, setup where we run six 10.5-inch discs. So it, it's like I said, very complex the way that we apply the clutch and apply the power, but the way that things run, it's just pretty much the same as it's always been. Uh, and so people that can work on these things understand them a lot more and ultimately make better better crew chiefs, better drivers, uh, and, and just helping to grow the sport with, with a, a knowledgeable fan base. Most of the drivers that are at the all of the drivers that are at the level we're at right now have started in some form or fashion racing a sportsman car or racing a street car and work their way up that's interesting that you say that because my favorite part of nhra honestly um not only is the racing but the tear time tear down time afterwards uh and especially i don't know if you guys still do or not but the throttle wax in the pits when you fire them up i remember my first time you know, nose was about running all the fluid <laughs> out of me. My eyes were ble- or just crying. Oh, you, you can't beat methanol for the very first time, or nitro, I should say, but it, it was awesome. Uh, I got a few more questions here for you. So to give you a little information about myself, I grew up around two things, which I think you can relate to a lot, and that's racing and rodeo, possibly. Uh, pro rodeo, <laughs> to say. My dad's the president of a PRCA rodeo in Redding, California. And I noticed uh, you got to hang out with some of our buddies, uh, Sage and Alexis mm. Kimsey and Tilden Hooper. You know them? Mm-hmm. And I, saw, I do. I saw, uh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I saw that you posted, you know, congrats to Sage on his seventh championship and whatnot. Uh, I was just curious, you know, how did you get connected to them? And I have some other questions about your team roping. So Tilden Hooper is from Carthage, Texas. Uh and we've not really known each other personally very long, but uh, we graduated. I, I, I was I'm a little bit older than Tilden, but uh, he was off rodeo and I was off racing. We knew who each other were. We might run across somebody or, or you know some mutual friends or something. And then um, I met. I really got to know him better through the American Hat Company. Yeah. 
And then Sage and Alexis are the same way. And Sage lives here in Salado, uh, Texas, which is a couple hours south of us. And uh, we've we've been able to meet a lot of those guys, like South Cooper and and different different athletes in in the rodeo industry through American Hat and Sage and Tilden have uh, really just kind of been two that I've, I've gotten along with very well. Oh yeah, uh, and 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 stay in contact with now. I actually was talking to Randy Bloomer yesterday, uh, Alexis's dad, and then uh, I, I text Sage every now and then, or I'll get a text from him. He was he's at the Fort Worth rodeo right now. Yeah, he uh, actually. I think he won. Yep, he won bracket seven the other night. Yeah, he placed in that. Um, I know they always come to Reading to compete in our rodeo third week in May, and uh, it's always great seeing them. We also see them at the NFR National Finals Rodeo. We go there every year. Uh, I also noticed on your Instagram you post, you uh, team rope. Are you a header or healer? Yeah, I do. I, I, I would say that I attempt to be a header. Yeah. Um, I got some. I, I got a little rodeo, or not a rodeo. I got a little roping pin over here. Uh, at the house and, and me and some buddies will team rope or go local, jack you know, pods. low number roping jackpot around here and just have a good time. Uh, it's something that I didn't do as a kid, but I've really enjoyed over the last four or five years. And it, man, it goes back to everything. I mean, if you're a competitor, you like to compete at whatever it is. Oh yeah. And so, uh, I enjoy, I enjoy the Western lifestyle. I enjoy, I got, I raised Brahmin cow replacement heifers. I enjoy messing with them. I enjoy going out and roping and, and I mean, going and roping in the pen and, and catching and, and doing that for competition is fun, but there's really nothing more fun than just like a good old fashioned cow catch and having to chase them out across the pasture and catch one, you know, and drag it in the trailer. I mean, that's the most fun to me. That's when you really get to play cowboy. Uh, oh yeah. But, but it's, uh, it's all a good time, man. And you, and you, you know, as well as I do, probably better. You meet some of the best people. Um, and, and I mean, Cowboys are, are a breed of their own. Thousand percent. I'd have to agree with you there. Uh, I, that's why I also had a question, you know, I, it's funny. A lot of people, I don't think realize how expensive horses are. And now that you've gotten into it and you're friends with them, what would you say is more expensive, your race team or the horses that you own? Um, well, I'm a bad person to ask that <laughs> because, uh, our race team deal, I mean, at, at the level we're at by far, oh, yeah. the racing, oh, 100%. um, but, but, you know, people don't realize that you, you're not going to go buy you this, like you can, and you may get lucky, but you're not going to just get the, 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 the cream of the crop horse here that does what you need it to do. Um, day in and day out on the farm and take it and and win the national finals rodeo with it. I mean, right. the horses that Driggers are uh, riding and, and all those guys, you know, tough and, and, and Trevor and, and those horses are hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh yeah. And, and, and you're not, you know, people don't understand that. I mean, every horse isn't the same, just like every race car and every driver everything isn't the same. I mean, and, and you gotta have that horse. And just because, just because Trevor Brazil can go win the world on that horse doesn't mean that I can ride it. Right. You know, it, it, it's, it, a it, it's a combination of, it's a bond and it's, you got to fit the horse and the horse has got to fit you. And 
I've been very blessed. I, I have some really good horses that fit me well uh, and, and make it a lot more fun. Because when you have that, it, 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 it helps you to be successful. You know, a, a, a good horse will overcome a mediocre roper just like a great a good race car will will make a decent driver look good right well i think uh that's gonna go ahead and get ready to wrap up the podcast here you know if you ever are free the third week in may and you want to come to reading rodeo we're we're in the top 20 or 30 i think it is of prca rodeos in the nation so we put on a good show if you ever want to come and hang out just hit me up on instagram we'll get you out there get you some good seats you can probably see sage you know come over here and do good in our rodeo as well but anyways thanks for you know sparing the time for us today and i hope to see you possibly again down in sonoma if you come out here i'd like to you know go back down there see you and your dad do well again so let me before we get off here do you know leo and gerald uh, Camarillo. Uh, I do not. So, so like Leo Camarillo, like he he just passed away. They call him Leo the Lion. Uh-huh. Uh, legendary team roper from. Uh, oh shoot! Same town that Eric Medlin was from. The the funny car racer, and so I looked those guys up. I, I've, I'm still good friends with Eric Medlin's mother, mm-hmm. uh, Mimi Medlin. I want to say uh, Oakdale, okay. California. Yeah, yeah, Oakdale Rodeo. And so, yeah, so uh, I know some of those guys up there, and, and so I figured you might you not you might know the Camarillos, but some of the greatest team ropers there's ever been. So check them out. And guys, thank you so much for the interview. I enjoyed it. Uh, had a good time talking to you, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Yeah, I'd like to see you down in Sonoma, and uh, good luck for the rest of your year, and hopefully Chase and Five becoming legendary, as Sage Kimsey always says. (laughs) Become legendary. That's what I like it. So a phenomenal interview, as I said earlier, uh, major props to Bennett for getting him on the show. He had so much to talk about, and he was actually a really good talker. Uh, you know, just explaining everything from, you know, how he got started in drag racing, you know, what it's like to run a team, you know, advice to other people that may want to get started in drag racing, and then the Western lifestyle that he is uh, also so much a part of. Yeah, it's pretty cool to learn all that about Steve. You know, he also came or overcame a huge challenge when he was younger, cancer. And, you know, that's huge, honestly. And these races like he or these race cars, like he described, they just take a toll on you. And to bounce back from that and talk about hitting the wall at 300 some miles an hour is just absolutely insane. I don't think I could really imagine doing that after watching that video. That's just something that's that's next level. And I know sprint car wrecks are really bad sometimes. And we're like, I can't believe that happened. But, uh, you know, NHRA crashes are just next level. Yeah, I, I cannot agree more. And, and, you know, hearing him talk about that was that was that was insane. And just uh, like like you said, uh, his not just his race on track, but his race through life has been such a roller coaster. And so for him to have the strength to overcome what he's overcome is honestly the most impressive part of of it all. So uh, in the future, we want to continue to get more guests, you know, that are in different forms of not just, you know, dirt track racing, but any form of, you know, racing each other, because this, you know, was uh, was very valuable to hear, hear about a, a different form of it and just what these guys do to, you know, pretty much, you know, dedicate their life to what they love. 
Um, as Bennett said earlier, we have Red Bluff coming back this weekend. So we got three weeks of that. Then we got the West Coast Nationals. And then pretty much it's all outdoor racing from there. All the indoor stuff kind of, you know, shuts down. Red Bluff is, is the last track usually in the country, it seems like, that runs all the way into March. And then, you know, every uh, or, or the weather starts to change and sprint cars are about. Uh, you'll have some outlaw kart racing outdoors if that's also in your wishes. Dwarf cars, non-wing, modified slate models, the list goes on. So uh, I, th- I think this year in the Northwest and the West Coast in general is probably going to be one of the biggest that they've ever seen with so many marquee events that have been announced and uh, a lot of big schedules for many tracks. Yep, I am looking forward to the future to get back in my race car, watch get back in yours, and uh, hopefully we can be at some races together. Uh, Thank you guys for listening to today's show of Off the Track. If you have a guest that you'd like us to get on, a racetrack you'd like us to be at, somewhere to go, uh, let us know in the comments section down below. Bennett, have a great rest of your day. To the viewers, have a great rest of your day, and we will get after it and kill it the rest of the week and be, be back on track this weekend. See you guys all next Wednesday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are watching Off the Track, and it is time to drop the hammer.